1: financial first quarter 2020 earnings results call for Friday, May 8, 2020. Your host for today will be Mr. Keith Potter. Please go ahead, Mr. Potter.
0: Uh, Thank you, Patrick, and good afternoon and welcome everyone to IGM financials 2020 first quarter earnings call. Uh, I'm Keith Potter, treasurer and head of investor relations. I hope everyone has been staying safe and adjusting well uh, to our new environment. Uh, Joining me on the call today are Jeff Carney, President and CEO of IG Wealth Management and President and CEO of IGM Financial. We also have Barry McInerney, President and CEO of McKinsey Investments, Luke Gould, Executive Vice President and CFO of IGM Financial. And we also have on today's call Mark Kinzel, Executive Vice President of Financial Services and Head of IG Distribution Network, who will provide a perspective on how the organization has and continues the transition model uh, in the current environment. Uh, Before we get started, I'd like to draw your attention to the cautions concerning forward-looking statements on Slide 3 of the presentation. Slide 4 summarizes non interest financial measures used in this material. On Slide 5, we provided a list of documents that are available to the public on our website related to the first quarter results for IGM Financial. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jeff Carney, who will begin his remarks on Slide 7.
2: Thank you. A lot has happened since our last call, and I first want to express my hope that you and your families are doing well and staying safe. I'll start the call by providing you with an update on how IGM has responded during covid 19s pandemic. First and foremost, we prioritize the safety of our employees and our advisors by quickly moving people into a remote work environment. To alleviate financial uncertainty for our employees, we have committed to no job losses related to COVID-19 in 2020 and have supplemented income for added costs working for this environment. We've also implemented flexible work schedules and resources to support mental and physical well-being. Looking at clients, we have significantly increased communications across our companies to ensure clients remain committed to their plans and investment solutions. In some instances, clients are experiencing friendship or financial hardship, and we're helping them access available government and internal programs such as the mortgage payment deferrals at IG. We also continue to support our communities through financial contributions and ongoing volunteer work of employees and advisors. Some of the programs are specifically addressing national food banks, needs of vulnerable people, and pressures faced by small businesses. We're fortunate to be in a business that can be conducted remotely and providing services that are extremely relevant to Canadians during periods like this. Turning to slide eight for Q1 to 2020 highlights, total AUM and AOA were both down approximately 11.5% during the quarter. We've seen a bounce back in April with AUM up 8.1%, reflecting strong net sales and positive client investment returns. Investment fund net sales of 306 million are up from last year. This is a solid result relative to the Advice Channel long-term net redemptions of 3.9 billion which marks the worst first quarter net sales on record for the industry. ITM's Q1 2020 earnings per share of 68 cents compares to 70 cents last year. With market volatility and the change in our environment, we're modifying our non commission expense growth guidance from a 3% increase to a 2% decrease in 2020. Luke will speak more to this in his review of financials. Finally, we're truly in an environment where financial planning and active management shine. I'm proud to see IG Wealth Management continue to have a positive net client inflows during the COVID pandemic. And at the same time, McKinsey has posted its best performance in a decade, measured by Morningstar four and five stars. Slide nine highlights the performance of major equity and fixed income indices. Q1 2020 saw equity market declines in major indices of around 20%, one of the steepest market declines in history. Financial markets markets improved meaningfully in April. IGM average client returns are negative 6.2% year-to-date. The Diversification of our clients' portfolios has helped mitigate this extreme market volatility. Turning to slide 10, the industry experienced long-term net redemptions of one billion during Q1 2020. It was really a quarter of two tails. First, January and February had momentum building from Q4 with long-term net sales of 13 billion. And then there was the COVID-19 impact in March where net redemptions reached 14 billion, the worst month on record. Industry Advice Channel experienced long-term mutual fund net redemptions of 3.9 billion during Q1. Turning to slide 11 on our results for the first quarter, average AUM was $163.3 billion, and increase increased 4.7% year-over-year. Year. Investment fund net sales of $306 million during Q1 2020 were an improvement over net sales of $260 million last year. As I mentioned, IGM's Q1 2020 reported earnings per share were 68 cents. Slide 12 contains the breakdown of IGM's quarterly results across our segments. I'd highlight that earnings at IG Wealth Management were up in the quarter relative to Q1 2019. Luke will speak to some consultant compensation changes that came into effect in January 2020. The corporate and other segment is down year over year, driven by a $14.3 million decrease in Great West Life Coast earnings and lower net investment income. This was partially offset by an increase in China's AMC earnings. Note that IG Wealth Management's net client flows were positive $381 million for Q1 2020, up $319 million year-over-year. McKenzie experienced strong investment um, net sales growth of $147 million year-over-year. Turning to operating highlights, as a reminder, asset center administration has become a key driver to understand our business as clients migrate to a fee-based IG advisory account. In addition to starting in 2020, consultant compensation is now based on new client asset flows to the firm. AUA at the end of March was $86 billion, down 11.6% during the quarter. As at April 30th, AUA is now at $91.6 billion, down only 5.8% year-to-date. IG's Q1 gross client inflows of $3 billion represents a 21.8% increase from last year and is a record high for the company. We also experienced net client inflows of $381 million, which was up $62 million in Q1 2019. It's been an incredibly busy quarter as we transitioned our distribution organization out of the offices and launched a campaign to contact all of our clients. And Mark will speak more to this in a moment but I'll say it's all gone very well and we're in a very strong position for our future. Slide 15 highlights client flows and AUA. These metrics incorporate our internal funds and third-party investments, such as high interest savings accounts, cash, third-party funds, and stocks and bonds. As I mentioned, gross client inflows to IG Wealth Management hit a record high of 3 billion in the quarter. And net client flows were 381 million up from 319 million year over year. You can see the client net flows include net redemptions of 50 million from IG funds and net inflows of 431 million to high interest savings accounts, cash, and other. On slide 16, you can see on the top left chart that net client inflows were solid in Q1 relative to the past periods despite the challenging industry sales environment. You can see the bottom-left chart, we experienced client net outflows of $36 million in April, which is also a strong result for what is typically a slow month for us. While we all continue to operate in certain times, we're maintaining our optimism for continued improvement in net flows for the rest of 2020 as our consultants continue to remotely work with their existing clients and prospects for new clients. Slide 17 highlights the long-term mutual fund redemption rate for the industry and the client outflow rate for IG. Historically, the IG financial planning model has created stability during periods of market volatility. Q1 2020 was consistent with that past experience, and we are now seeing gross client outflows decrease since early April. Slide 18 includes some additional perspectives on Q1 2020 gross sales. Sales into our high-net-worth solutions increased 18% to $1.3 billion. Similar to recent quarters, we continue to make progress acquiring new high-net-worth households with Q1 2020 levels exceeding Q1 219. We also saw heightened contributions from existing high-net-worth households during the period. Better Beta also remains a focus with our managed solutions representing 81% of our long-term growth sales over the last 12 months. Turning to slide 19, the productivity of our consultant network continued to increase during the quarter with a 22% increase in consultant practice productivity relative to Q1 2019. As we discussed on prior calls, we've been attracting a higher portion of experienced advisors and have included this group within the consultant practices category, which was stable during the quarter. I'll now turn it over to Mark Kinzel to discuss how we've been rapidly transitioning our distribution network to work remotely with clients and prospects.
3: Uh, Thank you very much, Jeff. And further to your comments, the strong momentum and energy in our consultant network has continued through the first quarter and into April. Uh, This is clearly displayed in our results. I'll first of all turn you to slide 20 and starting on the left hand side, I'll draw your attention to the following key components. Now, first of all, within days of moving all of our network home, over 5,000 people, we had a fully functioning remote access program. We're able to communicate effectively using Microsoft Teams, transact seamlessly with DocuSign and e-signatures, and prospect with virtual seminars. We've also successfully implemented dashboards to track individual practices and also provide assistance where required in incorporating our remote technology. Finally, we are also effective at planning remotely with our clients. In the second column, we've expanded training, and that's being used to deliver a successful use of the programs that we provided. Between webinars, digital tools, and updates, we've had thousands of consultants and teams educate themselves. The best practices are shared regularly with overall skills continuing to be enhanced. At the same time, in the third column, you'll note that we are also continuing to be focused on building our network. And while in the near term, actual appointments are slowing, our prospect pipeline has never been stronger with the number of candidates up by 30% this time versus last year. In addition, the assets with experienced recruits who've established client relationships that can be transferred to IG is up 60%. Responsiveness to inquiries has risen to record levels as the story of how we are operating is resonating with prospects. As we continue to ramp up our use of social media and initiatives such as virtual national career fairs, we anticipate strong results for recruits and in particular industry recruits as we move into the third and fourth quarters of this year. Finally, from the onset of the COVID-19 environment, we adopted a mantra to connect with or call every client. This program has been widely supported with the level of client contact reaching record levels. Combined with virtual meetings, daily updates, weekly idea sharing and responses to situations where financial hardships have impacted certain clients, all of this has been very well received. Overall, I would say we've effectively enhanced our model to better operate remotely so that our consultants can confidently work in the new environment that we find ourselves in. This is proving very effective and is attractive to work either exclusively in this model or in conjunction with the more traditional bricks and mortar offices. I'll now turn things over to Barry to speak on McKenzie. Thank you,
4: Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I begin my prepared remarks on slide 22, I'd like to thank you all for taking the time to join us on today's call. As Jeff mentioned, we're hoping everyone is healthy and safe in these difficult times. The first quarter financial market declines that Jeff spoke to earlier caused McKenzie's total AUM to decrease 10.1% to 63.1 billion. April was a better month, and we saw McKenzie's AUM increase 11%, reflecting strong market returns, continued investment fund net sales, and 2.6 billion of sub-advisory and institutional mandates that funded during the month. We continue to engage deeply with our advisors, strategic partners, and clients through these market disruptions supporting each of them where we can in achieving their goals. We continue to gain market share with continued strength in retail and notable traction in the strategic alliance and institutional channels as well. In terms of gross sales, we broke new record highs for both retail and total mutual fund sales. Investment, investment fund net sales were 437 million, excluding investments made by IG and IPC mutual funds into McKenzie ETFs. Our retail investment fund net sales were positive 229 million, in the quarter as we mark the 14th and 16th consecutive quarter of positive retail net flows from mutual funds and ETS respectively. Mackenzie's investment performance relative to peers reached levels we haven't seen in over a decade during the first quarter with our pro- proportion of assets and top-rated funds increasing meaningfully over the past quarter which was already strong and I'm really pleased to see that during times like these strong disciplined active management shines bright. Slide 23 highlights Mackenzie's operating results. Record high mutual fund gross sales of $3.7 billion, increased 46% year-over-year, year, which included strength in retail as well as a $200 million global equity mandate win on a third-party strategic alliance platform during January. McKinsey's long-term investment fund's net sales rate was 3.2% during the 12 months ended April 2020. On slide 24, you can see in the top left chart That investment fund net flows in Q1 of 437 million is the second best result in the past decade during fund allocation, including fund allocation changes. The chart on the right-hand side of the page shows the small decline in net sales experienced in the month of March, followed by return to net sales momentum in April. Investment fund net flows of 201 million in April is very solid, even considering the fund allocation change of 109 million included in this figure. And finally, while our sub-advisory and institutional channel experienced net redemptions of just under 200 million in Q1, we were pleased to see that a number of mandates were onboarded during the month of April, totaling 2.6 billion. This is incremental to the investment fund net sales figures presented in the charts. These wins were spread across a diverse range of investment strategies, including global equity, U.S. equity, fixed income, and currency overlay strategies. Approximately half of the 2.6 billion related to the currency overlay strategy, which we have developed a very strong and competitive capability. As you'd expect, the currency overlay strategy typically has lower sub fee rates. Our retail results are highlighted on slide 25. McKenzie's Q1 2020 retail gross sales increased 23.7% relative to the same period last year, driven by large increases in the balance and equity fund categories. Mutual funds and ETFs both attracted positive retail net flows during the quarter. On slide 26, positive net creations drove McKenzie's ETF AUM up 10.7% during the quarter to $5.3 billion. Net creations included $933 million from IG, IPC, and McKenzie mutual fund investments into McKinsey ETFs. On slide 27, you'll see that McKenzie's investment performance had a terrific quarter. During Q1, McKenzie had 80% of its mutual fund assets in the first or second quartile for all series types and 90% for series F. Turning to the medium and long-term metrics presented on the slide, at the end of March, 77% of McKinsey's mutual fund assets were above median for all series over the past 12 months. 69% of assets were in the first or second quartile over the three and five-year periods, and 74% over the 10-year period. Looking at Morningstar ratings, McKinsey has 59% of fund assets in four or five-star rated funds, which is the best in over a decade and out of our 20 largest funds, 19 are rated four or five stars for a Series F, and 13 of those are rated five star. This is Truly an exceptional result considering the diversity of asset classes and investment styles employed by our investment boutiques. Turning to slide 28, you can see the strong Morningstar ratings across a number of our investment teams, including the Growth, Blue Water, Resources, Global Equity and Income, and Fixed Income Boutiques. These teams and others deliver strong short-term performance measured by six-month and one-year asset weighted percentiles. The IVY team, Global Quantitative Equity team, and the Multi-Asset Strategies team all had strong performance in recent months. Looking to the future, it's impossible to say with certainty where things will travel over the coming months, though so we have seen signs of stabilizing redemption trends during the latter part of April, which is very encouraging. We will continue to capitalize on the strong market position Mackenzie enjoys today. I'll now turn over to Luke to review IGM's financial results.
5: Thanks, Barry. Good afternoon, everyone. This trade to page 30. As Jeff mentioned today, we're reporting EPS of $0.68, cents, down slightly from $0.70 cents last year. As you can see in the first bullet, including our results is our 4% share of earnings in Great West Life Co., which they reported yesterday, primarily as a result of COVID-19-related market impacts. Our share in Great West life earnings declined by $14.3 million relative to Q119 and $15.6 million relative to Q4. Also including our results are $6.1 million in negative fair value adjustments on seed capital, as well as $2.7 million in negative fair value adjustments related to our mortgage hedging activities. Excluding net investment income, our proportionate share in affiliates, as well as the favourable impact of an accounting change I'll discuss below, our earnings increased from last year in line with the 5.7% increase in average invested fund assets. On point two, you can see that we introduced new IG consultant compensation changes that went into effect on January 1st, 2020. This had an impact on several line items. I'm gonna review this in detail in a few slides. As you can see in the bullet point, these changes are focused on ensuring proper alignment with client outcomes and a great client experience while also rewarding net business growth. And third, importantly, we're announcing today that as one of our responses taken in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're also revising our expense guidance for 2020 based upon a plan we put in place to ensure prudent expense management. Specifically, we're revising our guidance downwards by $50 million to a level of approximately $1.02 billion, as you can see on the slide. This is a reduction from 2019 of approximately 2% compared to our earlier guidance of an increase of no more than 3%. As you've heard us say many times before, it's in environments like this one where we solidify client relationships and ensure rich communication and a focus on financial planning. You can see we've listed the four guiding principles that we have had in approaching uh, expense management at this time. This includes ensuring we're focused on nurturing client relationships and delivering delivering on our Gamma promise. It includes doing right by our people, and as Jeff said, we've made public commitment to no layoffs during this period. It includes delivering on our strategic priorities, and we have a lot of work on transformation continuing. But we've also embraced every opportunity to curtail discretionary spending at this time. The, the character places... Where we're reigning in uh, spending includes things directly impacted by the pandemic including travel and conferences as well as prioritization of projects and purposeful reduction in certain elements of advertising and promotion. I'd also remind you that we have a business transformation program that's underway that we're nearly halfway through and we're going to have more initiatives completed in the coming quarters that we'll announce that will provide enduring benefits added to those that we announced in 2019. I'd also note we haven't yet provided expense guidance beyond 2020, and we do intend to do this during the coming quarters. At this time, our guidance would be that the reductions announced today are temporary, and we would expect to be closer to our 2020 guidance uh, in 2021, uh, absent any uh, any new announcements. And we do look forward to providing updates on our transformation program in the coming quarters. Moving to page 31, before continuing to review the financials, we want to ensure we highlight a few accolades from Q4 and Q1, that builds on Jeff and Mark's earlier comments around responsible management and corporate citizenship. Many of you have seen these before. On the left, during Q4, IGM was given a rating by, of A by the Carbon Disclosure Project for the second consecutive year as a result of our efforts on environmental performance and disclosures. We're very proud of this rating as we're one of only 180 firms that have over 8,000 participants to receive this top rating. And this year, IGM was the only Canadian company to receive this accolade. Looking at the bottom, you can see that this rating partners well with the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures, or TCFD, to which IGM is a signatory. In the second column, you can also see during the first quarter, we are recognized by Corporate Knights as one of the 100 most sustainable companies in the world for 2020. This is a rating on corporate citizenship broadly and sustainability, and there were over 7,000 corporations considered globally. Uh, again, we're very proud to have this recognition around how we treat our people, our clients, our communities, and the environment. And you can see we're one of 12 Canadian firms to make the top 100. We've also listed our inclusion in the FTSE for Good and JANSI social indices, as well as our commitments to responsible investing in women's empowerment. So to page 32, the only comment I'd have to make on uh, this slide is to remind that, while financial markets are very volatile, at April 30th, our EUM went down around 6% year to date to 159.4 billion. Which is a level not that dissimilar to our average asset level in q1 2020 as well as full year 2019 as you can see in the chart on the right you've also heard from jeff mark and barry emphasize the upwards trajectory of net flows at both companies during a tougher operating environment under page 33 on the left side highlight that this chart illustrates my earlier comments on net investment income and our share of associates earnings which you can see were 29.5 million uh, in Q1, down from 53.9 million in Q4, as a result of financial market-related declines. Excluding this and a favorable accounting change, I'll describe in a second, EBIT was up in line with the 5.7% increase in average assets from Q1 in 2019. On the right, I'd highlight that our net revenue rate is at 119 basis points and is in line with Q1 2019. And you'll also see the EBIT margin of 51 basis points improved from the same period last year as a result of unit cost improvements. Turning page 34, you can see our consolidated income statement. And uh, this time around, I only have three things I'd highlight here to help folks understand the results. First, you can see we've put a one beside net investment income of 9.4 million, which is down 11.9 million from Q4 and 10.8 million from last year. This amount includes negative fair value adjustments on seed capital of 6.1 million, as I mentioned, as well as negative fair buy adjustments on mortgage-related hedges of 2.7 million. Second. You can see we've highlighted our share of Great West LifeCo earnings down 15.6 million from Q4 and 14.3 million from Q1, largely as a result of COVID-19 market-related impacts. And third, we haven't labeled it here, but I I would highlight our share of results from personal capital and China asset management are up, and I, I would highlight that China asset management for a quick second. You can see our, our share of China Asset Management's earnings of 8.9 million are up 20% from Q4 and 20% from uh, from Q1 of 2019. I guide you that China MC's business has been performing very well. We only disclose AUM on a semi-annual basis, but I'll make a few remarks now. Uh, first, over the last year, average assets, revenue, and earnings are all up approximately 20%. I note that the company did adopt remote working conditions prior to us reporting to uh, in February. And throughout the pandemic, they continue to act, actively launch new products and saw good growth across product ch- categories and distribution channels. They have now implemented return to work a couple of weeks ago, and we do look forward to updating you next quarter. And we'll continue to work to provide disclosure enhancements to provide business metrics to you on a more frequent basis to help understand the business as it grows and becomes a more meaningful part of IGM's results. Turning to page thirty-five, I have a few comments on consultant compensation changes to walk you through as well as some comments on disclosure more broadly. First, along with our transition of all of our clientele at IG to fee-based accounts and unbundled pricing, we had anticipated launching our new segment of disclosures in Q1 to present IG and IPC as wealth managers versus asset managers and to draw out advisory fees, which is the largest share of our uh, of our revenues and is driven by AUM, AUA as opposed to AUM. As a result of COVID-19 and the consequent changes and volatility in main lines, We've deferred this launch to a time when you'll have more time to digest the disclosure changes. Using our traditional disclosure, there are still a few changes to programs that we need to navigate you through. First, in point one, we've changed the basis for payment of sales commissions to be based upon gross inflows of AUA into client accounts, subject to certain eligibility requirements. You Remember that previously, as a result of being characterized as fulfilling an existing contract with the mutual fund, commissions that we paid on bundled mutual fund products had been expenses incurred. As a result of this change we've made January 1st to drive drive commissions based upon new client acquisition and contributions to accounts of all asset types, these commissions are now properly capitalized and amortized over the expected life. I'd highlight that this had a favorable impact on our Q1 results of approximately $10 million pre-tax. We've also enhanced our disclosure. And our supplemental info to provide a monthly history of our aua continuity including gross inflows and gross outflows going back to the beginning of 2018. Second we discontinued certain ig consultant benefit entitlements that had previously been recorded within our non commissioned expenses and this value is now reflected within their asset-based compensation rates so what this means is the amounts have not changed They've, it's just the geography that has you can see in this table in the second row that this amount was worth $15.6 million in 2019, or roughly $4 million per quarter. Uh, when we talk about our expense guidance and give you guidance for the rest of the year, we're retroactively restating non commissioned expenses for this adjustment, and you could, should be anchoring to a 2019 uh, result of, uh, of roughly $1.038 billion or $39 billion in non non-commissioned expenses versus a reported number of 1.054. And as we provided a few slides earlier, our expense guidance is that will be no greater than $1.02 billion in non expenses for the year. Uh, this has also obviously uh, created an increase in our asset-based compensation rates of approximately two basis points or, or $4 million per quarter. Third, and effective by January 1st, 2020 as well, we've uh, enacted what we've called our enhanced grid. And we've talked to many of you about over time And and this grid did come into play based upon achievement of targets that were set and and achieved during 2019. Under this framework, consultants who meet targets based upon client engagement, financial planning proficiency, and high net worth client acquisition earn enhanced compensation rates on all business that they conduct. Due to the level of qualifiers during 2019, asset-based compensation rates have increased by approximately 1.5 basis points. I would also guide you that you can expect this to endure throughout 2020, but qualifying achievement levels are reset every year and we expect as, uh, as we continue to build the business and, and enhance our proposition, the bar will get higher and higher. Moving to page 36, a few more comments on IG. First, you can see the annualized management and admin fee rate of 195.1 basis points. You'll see in our financial statements and other documents, we've relabeled this line management and advisory fees, and i remind you that a majority of our clientele have now been transferred to fee-based accounts and our nominee platform, and the remainder will be transferred in the coming months. I'd also remind approximately 60% of this fee rate of 195 basis points is in respect of advisory fees, and those advisory fees are applied to AUA, not AUM. Second, as you can see in point one, our asset-based compensation rate increased to 55.9 basis points, up from 52.7 basis points last year for the reasons described in the prior slide. I'd remind as well that the rates higher in Q1 as a result of paying a quarter of an annualized rate when it comes to asset-based comp, where we take our revenues based upon the number of calendar days in the quarter. So the right comparison is to a Q1 of 2019 as opposed to Q4 2019. And on the right, you can see the cash commission paid on gross client inflows of $3 billion during Q1 was 110 basis points. This is the rate and driver that should be used going forward. And and I guide that this rates do go down slightly once again in 2021. To page 37, you can see IG's results from operations of $173.4 million. I'd have a few quick comments. First, we've highlighted net investment income of $8.7 million, which includes seed capital negative fair buy adjustments of $2.6 million and also included the negative fair buy adjustments of mortgage-related hedges of $2.7 million referenced earlier. Second, you can see midway down the page that sales-based commission's expense paid has a zero entry, for Q1 2020 as described earlier, as all commissions are now being capitalized and amortized. And as I mentioned earlier, the result of this is a favorable $10 million pre-tax to uh, to our earnings period. I'd remind that the commission rate paid declined noticeably in 2020 as previously announced and reviewed earlier. Lastly, I highlight non-commissioned expenses and would note that within this 165.4 million, there was roughly $2 million million in extraordinary costs relating to COVID-19 related activities like getting everybody working remote, which we uh, have been at 100% at for, uh, for, for weeks and weeks now, uh, as well as conference cancellation fees. As noted earlier, we have an expense management plan to reduce full-year 2020 expenses by $50 million for IG financial relative to our earlier guidance. Turning to page 38, I don't have many comments from McKinsey this quarter. I'd remind that McKinsey's net revenue rate is impacted by the same treatment of trailing commissions that I mentioned in respect of IG with one quarter of the annualized rate paid in the quarter while well, we take um, a calendar day proportion of uh, management and other fees. And so uh, what I'm saying is the comparative period for uh, this rate is actually Q1 of 2019, and you can see it is down very slightly. I'd also highlight that there was a slight shift in the share of fixed income assets within the weighting as a result of equity market declines during the quarter. And then lastly, on page 39, McKinsey's EBIT, the only noteworthy item I have is to highlight the negative 2.8 million in net investment income as discussed earlier this is mckenzie's share of the uh, of the negative uh, mark to market on seed capital during the period that concludes my my comments i'll turn it over to Patrick to take any questions
1: thank you we will now take questions from the telephone lines if you have a question and you're using a speaker phone please lift your handset before making your selection if you have a question please press star 1 on your telephone keypad If at any time you wish to cancel the question, you may press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time. If If you have a question, there will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Gary Ho from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good afternoon, uh, Luke. Let me
6: start off. Uh, quick question, just on the new uh, guidance on non-commission expense here. So, which area is that mostly coming out of? You did mention a couple there, travel expenses. Um, what's mentioned in conferences. Uh, were some of that related to the transformation efforts? Are you deferring some of that? And and I guess as a related question, you know, should we, should we see similar decreases that minus two percent across both IG and
5: Mackenzie? Good question, Gary. So, yeah, you should expect um, it equally at IG and McKenzie. And uh, and you can see our principles. uh, We're working so hard to keep everything in a transformation program rolling. It it provides great benefits, and and we're looking forward to uh, to give the results of continued initiatives coming to life over the coming quarters. So so we really did look to everything in it that we could do where we had discretion and could just rein in spending without affecting the ongoing momentum of the business and without affecting client relationships and, and our commitment to providing great gamma. Um, So travel, conferences, um, anything that was uh, volume-related, and uh, we have, as I mentioned, uh, reduced the advertising spend purposefully and uh, and prioritized certain initiatives um, that that weren't as as important to bring to life in the near term.
6: Okay, and then maybe related to, to that as well, so that would indicate a pretty sizable drop from Q1 levels. Now, should we begin to see that in, in Q2? Uh, how should we think about that in terms of timing, particularly for IG? I think you, you, you highlighted, you know, the 165-ish was pretty high. You know, that was significant bump up uh, in non-commissioned
5: expense in the quarter. Yeah, good question, Gary. So, interestingly, we have incremental expenses primarily in Q1, and you can expect the uh, the reduced the reduction required to bring us to $50 million down full year to, to be evenly over the next three quarters. And, and i guide you to past seasonality to help understand the, the quarterly uh timing of that okay and then uh barry one for you um some institutional
6: wins in april that's good to see uh, can you provide a bit more color uh, which mandates that those come in or pertain to and if you can uh, comment a little bit on the pipeline as well
4: sure thanks gary um, so we we started to mention uh probably last three or four calls uh, some of the traction that we're gaining on institutional and we have working very hard to, um, you know, f- uh, focus uh, that it is, but very hard to start to gain some traction, get some wins in the door, because we, we think it's important to have a robust institutional um, business alongside of our, you know, very robust and large retail business in Canada. So uh, some of those wins we had announced in um, prior calls, and then you're probably familiar with institutional uh, cadence, is that you, they're long sales cycle, they're lumpy, <laughs> And then when you win, then sometimes it's you know, uh, a quarter or so for the monies to be onboarded as our client gets readied to, for us to take the money from them. So um, it was quite a, um, it wasn't by design by the way, but uh, we had a number of our wins all onboard in, during April, uh, 2.6 billion. And as I mentioned uh, previously, we were happy that it was also uh, across uh, four different strategies, uh, uh, global dividend equity with our um, Terry McKiernan boutique team, um, it was U.S. equities with our um, quant team in Boston. Our uh, it was uh, fixed income with our team in Toronto. And um, the the one that was interesting out of those, also maybe a little out of the ordinary, was the uh, active currency overlay mandate, which is which is about a half uh, of the 2.6 billion in terms of AUM size. And what we like about these wins is that they, you know, they really validate what we're doing on the retail side and vice versa. So. Um, you know, we've been doing currency overlay for many, many years uh, on our retail multi-asset products, and we've been tracking the performance of that. We've actually been doing very, uh, for a long time dynamic asset allocation overlay. Also, for instance, over all of our multi-asset products at McKenzie, the team we have doing that is uh, just tremendous. Cppib, uh, World Bank, IMF pedigree. So they, they've been doing this for many, 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 many years. And so um, we took that retail capability and we started to um, sell it uh, institutionally. And so we picked up a very large, sophisticated pension plan in Canada that uh, now is hiring us for that. So um, I would say um, we can't expect $2.6 every month. <laughs> I mean, we're very happy they came in, but uh, suffice to say the pipeline is growing nicely. We're out right there in, in Canada, U.S., Europe, and, and China looking for opportunities, very focused. Um, we've got uh, a couple more small wins that we just announced, which we'll, we'll announce next quarter. Um, but, again, it takes a while for them to be onboarded. So you should look to see uh continued uh, success from us in that in that area and um we're very pleased to to have it happen. Uh by the way we had um if I remember correctly is five five wins uh just came in and one in January and four in April and um they were um in Canada, US and then late last year we had one that was on board from Europe. So geographical uh, geographic um diversification, uh by boutique and strategy diversification. And um pretty lumpy sizes too. So they'll be all over the map. Sometimes they'll win 20, 30 million. Sometimes they win, as you know, 600 million. Sometimes they win a billion five. So we can't really predict the size of it, uh, the pipeline as a variety of um, by country and by strategy and by size. Um, and you know, the, the fees are lower for institutional but they're usually larger mandates and also the money just gets onboarded onto our platform with no, uh, um, increased costs, right? So it's it's all accretive to the bottom line, and we're not ex- extending or expending any more manufacturing capabilities to 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 handle these mandates. Uh, we're just using the same teams to handle our retail assets, institutional. So didn't want to carry on a little bit too much. We're very excited, very excited that it happened. You'll, you'll see more coming. Um, they're lumpy and long sales cycles, so it's a difficult to predict, you know, with any uh, you know um, accuracy, uh, the, the level and timing, but. Uh, but they're coming in,
6: and, and we're very pleased. Great. Thanks for thanks for the color. And then just lastly, maybe numbers question again for, for Luke. Um, just going back to slide 36, um, the 55.9 uh, for the asset-based comp and the uh, 110 basis points for the sales-based uh, compensation
5: commission, should those be relatively stable um, throughout 2020? Yeah, they will be, Gary. During- yeah, and then uh, okay. and then once again we'll we'll see another drop in sales
1: based comp in twenty twenty one. Okay, great. Uh, that's for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from Jeff Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Hi, good afternoon. Um, I know you talked a little bit about it uh, earlier, but just wondering if there's more details you can talk about on the IG Wealth side, the strategy of getting new clients, uh, just in light of you know COVID nineteen working from home. Uh, and especially given you're primarily targeting these high net worth investors that you know may or may not be willing to look money uh, sorry move money in this environment and, and how people are interacting if they're comfortable with that
0: Sure yeah,
2: I can repeat that um, can you hear me? Yep. great um, thanks for the question. yeah so um, I think you've seen that we've been able to um, like when I came to this organization uh, early on, um, what I discovered was, you know, the commitment to CFPs, and then our whole strategy turned to, well, why don't we serve the sophisticated clients and move up? And so that's pro- that's what we've been doing from from there, and we've been building out with Mike Dibden all the infrastructure and and capabilities to give a client a modern experience uh and give our consultants a modern experience. And we're we're we've spent so much in effort um to get to there. And you know, our Salesforce is almost implemented uh, so that uh, we'll have more scale and capabilities and, and capabilities for uh, Mark's team. And um and then we've got new tools coming that we're investing in and other opportunities as well. And so uh you know it's it's uh, an exciting time for our company and and i don't know if um, the industry understands the momentum that we have um and you know we got more coming um and um and the quality of the new recruits that are coming in are excellent uh the new uh people that are coming from um you know mostly from the banks but others uh that are coming to us love our culture and are excited to be here and you know we can hire a lot of people from the banks for a long time and they won't even notice it but it's it's um it's an exciting time and uh you know we think we've got a lot of runway ahead of us uh and we're still investing in our infrastructure as you know with with all the stuff that mike's doing and so there's still lots of efficiency coming and so we're you know our, our plan to become a modern you know, mass affluent high net worth company serving, um, Canadians is coming to fruition. And, um, you know, it's exciting. I'm, I've put a lot of heart, sweat and tears into this with my team here. And, um, we're really proud of where we are. Uh, we, we can compete with anybody and, uh, it's, um, you know, and then we're distributed in, in every community in the country. Uh, we reach everyone. And, and so, you know, as our, our confidence goes up and we win more and more bigger mandates, um, it's going to go, you know, even go faster.
3: Jeff, it's uh, Mark here. I can add a little bit to what Jeff just mentioned as well. Uh, you know, specific to the COVID environment, uh, it's interesting. Uh, as we mentioned, I think Jeff and I both talked about this. We adopted a plan to really get out and, and ring the phones. And our belief was, uh, well, certainly you can do a lot of contacting, uh, you know, through uh, emails and so on, uh, there's nothing like a call. And what we've experienced is uh, we have uh, uh, we've been working very intently at that, and that is leading to referrals. Because when people uh, share and compare, what they're finding is that they can uh, the connectivity from our folks uh, has uh, been superior in terms of reaching out, being in touch with them. And that relationship building, they're telling other people about it. So we have stories continuously coming in about referrals, uh, which is interesting because people are home and they're answering the phone and we're calling them. The second part That's, is that... Just to jump uh, they, in on that,
2: Mark, um, the, when Mark and I, when we ran into the volatility, we both looked at each other and said, we got to call every client. And, and um, we've been on the phones ever since, and it it's creates opportunities, we've, you know, it brings in funds and everything else. But, but we did it because we want our clients to know that we care about them. And, and uh, we put the effort in it, and Mark's team did an amazing job.
3: Well, it, it, it's working. Uh, the other thing I would say is something that we have very uh, quickly moved forward with is uh, this concept about uh, really marketing uh, from a virtual perspective. So using webinars, seminars, uh, inviting people, uh, doing it by different targets, uh, this is happening across the country. Uh, people are home, uh, they're watching their screens, uh, they're engaged, and uh, this is, uh, we're starting to develop a lot of expertise in a very short time period. One of the strengths we have is that the network is sharing, so coast to coast people are doing things, sharing the ideas, and then they're being utilized and, and really refined as we go on. So I would say those are two core drivers heavy contact, driving referrals, and then going online uh, with virtual programs such as webinars and combined together, it's leading to new clients. So it's it's certainly something new in this environment, but it's working.
7: Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Just my second question for Barry. Um, You you pointed out performance has been good, uh, flows have been good, and and I don't want to look like I'm nitpicking here. Um, but when you take a look at Kundal, uh, the systemic strategies, and, and maybe to a lesser extent the multi-asset strategies, um, are there things that, that can be done to try and improve uh, the performance out of those silos?
4: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Good question. The um, you know we we still firmly believe that it's important for <coughs> investors to have um, a good balance between growth and value, um, and we've been mentioned this for the last couple of years now just from a risk diversification perspective that probably with the run up in growth stocks and the high concentration uh on stock markets overall, particularly in the US market, that there there could be um uh, you know obviously uh, quite a pronounced overweight uh to growth stocks and portfolios. So it's difficult uh, obviously to rotate or bounce a little bit towards value because value has had um, a, a real uh, just the style not just condo but the style itself uh, since the financial crisis has been uh, um Consistently underperforming growth uh, for over a decade now. Uh, over 75 years, um, they both have produced roughly the same returns, growth and value. But you have periods like we have where growth continues to outperform. Uh, and, and interesting enough, when we have this uh, significant downturn in the marketplace uh, from the from the COVID crisis, um, there was a flight to to uh, quality and therefore a flight to growth. And so value has still has underperformed. So, um, we're steadfast in, in uh, having a strong boutique focused uh, entirely on value, as Kendall does. Um, we we do believe, going forward, that uh, there will be, at some point, can ever time it, a rotation towards value. But we wouldn't want to time that. More importantly, have a nice, well-constructed portfolio. that's well-balanced across styles and, and asset classes. So, so uh, we're comfortable with uh, them remaining true to the value style. There are very few managers probably left uh, in Canada that focus entirely on value, and we're very proud of them. The, the quant team, um, coming along nicely, uh, quant, uh, as you probably know, a lot of quant managers uh, were struggling uh, probably the last 12, 18 months, uh, and so that's just the style, again, not necessarily the team's execution, per se. So I want them just to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, it's important that our boutiques are adaptive, though, um, and so uh, I, I Really pleased with the results of our performance, as you've probably seen across the enterprise. In that, these active managers uh, they see oppor- they've seen opportunities last seven eight weeks um, to review their portfolio holdings and, and identify what uh, companies and sectors will outperform in the new norm and what would underperform and making changes. So uh, that's why you know some of our um, firm our boutiques like uh, Phil Tollers midcap growth and. Blue Water have just continued to power ahead their performance, which has been exemplary for five or six years now, and they didn't still sit on their hands. They're, they're making moves. So same with our quant teams. But so the quant's been a little bit of a headwind but, as a style, uh, but we're, that's coming along nicely. Multi asset, there the, um, uh, the the performance is turning nicely, and again. Um, you know the numbers you see some of the short-term numbers with you know with 90% of our assets and first second quartile It's it's there's not a lot out uh, value is the one that stands out we, in fact not to uh, uh, You know kind of beat our chest a bit But uh, if you look at the f-series 24 of our largest 25 f-series mutual funds are four or five star So with uh, with the exception of condo which I explained the reason why so the multi assets right there uh, They've come back nicely making some good moves um, Probably right now more focused on being neutral ish across the asset classes as we try to continue to analyze and figure out uh you know the sort of long term shifts of sentiment with a new norm in terms of asset classes and sectors and styles but uh you know and I'll give you one example of our monthly income funds um which actually are designed uh some of the uh, number of reasons why our performance is even strengthened in in, uh, in twenty twenty some of, which are some of our strategies are designed for downside risk protection. So our monthly income is designed with with uh, downside risk capture uh, uh, protective puts in it, as well as our unconstrained bond products, which, are, again, both uh, did very well. But the monthly income, which is multi asset as well, has performed well. So, anyways, uh, you know, I can go on and on and on, but, uh, you know, we, we are very proud of the performance we have. Um, we'll work hard to keep it. It is pretty, pretty high, uh, particularly if you, again, look at how we're structured at McKinsey with a lot of different boutiques and different styles and different asset classes. Um, but hopefully that answers your question, Jeff, on the three specific boutiques.
7: No, that's perfect. Thank you.
4: Okay. You're welcome.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Tom McKinnon from BMO Capital. Please go ahead.
8: Yeah, thanks very much. Um, question just with Two questions. The first is with respect to the $50 million, uh, reduction in uh, non-commission expenses. Uh, how much was realized in the first
5: quarter of that? Yeah, none, Tom, yeah, none. In the first quarter we actually had incremental COVID related uh, items. Okay. So we had conference translation fees, we had incremental work from home costs. So, so it's all coming in the next three.
8: Okay, and then with the change in the, uh, um, uh, in, the in the sales-based commissions at IG, uh, being now amortized uh, instead of uh, expensed as paid, it seems like that was a 10 million benefit in the first quarter. How should we be thinking about? Would this just be would this be a reduction to uh, um, uh, or an increase in expenses going forward? How should we be thinking about modeling that?
5: Yeah, so we'll we'll help you on that, Tom. It's basically given the history on all of the uh, all the cash commissions that are going to be amortized, and they're being amortized over uh, over 84 months. And so you can build a model to just uh, to just know what the cash commissions are in every period and, and to know how they're going to be amortized over, over time. So they'll be very, very predictable going forward with the expenses. So
8: net effect, which we'd probably be increasing those expenses, but remove
5: them as paid, but then increasing the amortization. And is that... Yeah, right, right on. So all the cash commissions that, that, it, that have been expenses incurred, that, that will be removed, and, and then th- those will be capitalized and amortized.
8: And would that, would that impact then be uh, – um, well, what, I guess it all depends on what kind of expenses we would have had uh, uh, paid uh, in in Q2, Q3, Q4, but uh, is your thinking that this is going to be a boost to uh, um, uh, earnings in the second, third, and the fourth quarter as a result of this change?
5: Yeah, yeah. I think two things, Tom. One, just remember, it's just cosmetic, so, so it's just Half timing. Time. It's all going to hit the P&L sometime. So, so one, it's cosmetic. Two, yeah, it, it will certainly amplify earnings this period, um, because you can think of amounts that would have been included in period, uh, albeit not large amounts, are now going to be amortized over twenty-eight qu- 20 quarters.
8: Okay, thanks very much for that.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. The next question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord. Please go ahead.
9: Uh, good afternoon. Uh, Maybe, maybe I just want to follow up on a Jeff's question uh, with Barry on, uh, on Mackenzie. Uh, with the investment boutique, you, you give a very detailed uh, rundown of uh, net sales, but I'm just wondering over the last two months, uh, you know, with COVID-19, uh, where where has people been putting the gross sales? Like, um, like has it been on the growth platform because it hasn't in net sales or? Or has it had been more defensive and, and kind of more fixed income products? I'm just trying to see kind of where are, where are, you know clients uh, or advisors putting their clients during this uh, during this obviously difficult time period.
4: Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. And it has been pretty broad based. Um, you know, obviously the, the slide uh, 28 was just Q1, and, and um, but that included March, as you know, where, where um, you know we we saw the industry redemptions occur. Um, so, um I would say that we saw the um uh, overall some redemptions on the fixed income side when the crisis you know, crises hit, you know, last you know, last little bit of February into March. And then um well we we saw some weakness also coming into April, probably the first two, three weeks of April was still a little weak but, but there was the redemptions firmed up. Uh the gross sales overall uh were uh quite a bit lower than they had been obviously the first six weeks of twenty twenty. And then that started to pick up uh, towards the latter part of April and now we see that in into may so um back- back this, this back into um equities and multi asset actually we're seeing the flows in, in the fixed income as well but i think the i think um there's been flows coming into equities uh in that um you know we we don't know if we reached the f- only the first bottom or not but we certainly was quite the pronounced bottom in the markets in <laughs> end of February. and so um yeah, we saw some money come back into equities, uh, pretty broad based. Uh, but of course, the ones you can see on 28, those patterns continue to like 28 where the, the, our growth manager, Phil taller, the blue water uh, came in nicely. Our global equity income, uh, nice flows um, uh, since the recovery that we've had last month or so uh, on the equity side. Fixed income has, has come in um, uh, because some of the uh, exits um, that we saw um, during the tough times in March has come back. And the multi-asset, though, too, we've seen the the balance products. So it's it's been pretty, pretty broad based But I would I would say that our our stalwarts, the growth, blue water, global equity, on the equity side, have been continuing to power uh, the flows coming in, and obviously, their performance are all five stars. So um, good for them. There's confidence by the advisors that uh, they'll continue to add value for them. Is that is that any is that okay? I can give you more more detail, but I thought
1: no, 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 no.
9: That's great. That's great, Barry, uh, and maybe Jeff on the uh, on the IG side. How is the recruitment process getting impacted um, as we go through COVID nineteen? Is, is it stalled, or or is there some sort of process still in place? Uh, I
2: didn't I didn't hear your question very well.
9: I'm oh, sorry, my daughter's in the background. Uh,
2: uh,
9: just for investors groups, just in terms of the recruitment process, has it been? Uh, during, during COVID-19 as, as, as people are more isolated or or is there still, uh, you know, kind of a process going on where you're trying to recruit new IG consultants?
2: Yeah, no, we're still, um, Mark, uh, I, think, I think, talked about this a little bit, but um, we're recruiting constantly. Um, you know, we've, um, historically, as you know, we, we were ones that built, you um, people from start, starting out in their careers and build it up. And we do that still now. But now we have more um, capabilities where we can recruit from, um, from, the, from the banks. And so we've been doing a lot of that recently and we're getting some great talent. Uh, they love our culture. They love um, the resources that we have. They have, love the product shelf. Uh, they love um, um, the, the uh, op- entrepreneurial spirit of the company. Um, and in our company and our culture is a sharing culture, like uh, so it's not that our in, internal people compete against each other. They're really going out and trying to win win market share for 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 them. And so so I think people just really want to be at our company and, and Mark Kinzel who's on this call um, has built a great culture and a, a great leadership team and um, and he's they they're um, they're really driving it and uh but right now, they're they're really confident when they go out and look at recruits and and they're landing them. Uh, but I'll let Mark uh, uh, talk about this as well.
3: Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jeff. And, Scott, thanks for the question. Um, you know, it's interesting. Right now, uh, the activity, and we track it very carefully in terms of not just recruits, but our pipeline and where folks are in the pipeline. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, our pipeline is up over 30% at the same point in time last year. So our actual recruits in the first quarter were very close to last year's recruit numbers, uh, even though uh, clearly we had uh, onboarding impacts, uh, you know, towards the latter part of March, but our pipeline's up significantly. And what's also interesting is the assets represented by that pipeline, so particularly those who are industry prospects, uh, that's up almost by 60% over the same number of assets uh, at this point last year. Uh, We're finding uh, that the response rate is up uh, dramatically uh, people are uh, they're paying attention. Uh, they are responding uh, to our inquiries. And uh, I think the other thing that's taking place is the success we've had in really getting people into a, a legitimate mobile option in terms of running your business, uh, that's being viewed very positively. And people in the industry are wanting to know more information. So um, we have never been stronger in terms of the pipeline as to where we are right now. Uh, and so I anticipate going into the uh, last half of the year that as this sort of sorts it out, uh, and, and clearly I understand why someone is not going to move today in the midst of this with their clients, but uh, the depth of conversations, uh, the engagement, uh, we have never seen it uh, this strong. So I feel very good about where we're going with our pipeline.
9: Okay, Maybe just lastly, um, I don't think I caught it, the seed capital impact in the quarter. Was it quantified at all?
5: Yeah, it was six point yeah. four million dollars. It, it looks speaking, yeah, and, and and obviously you can expect a recovery of, of a lot of that in April, given the market in, improvement. But about six point four million. Uh, I and, also and highlighted not, that. I also highlighted mortgage uh, warehouse hedges, uh, which is is a timing related one that was also another two point seven million in the period due to interest rate changes.
9: And, and how big is the um, that Cedar Marketable Securities portfolio?
5: Yeah, it's, it's sixty
10: million dollars.
9: Sixty million. Okay, that makes sense. So. About ten percent.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. As a reminder, you may press star one if you have a question. The next question is from Graham Riding from TD Securities. Please go ahead.
10: Yeah, maybe I'll just start uh, at the IG consultant level. Um, given what you're seeing, it sounds like you're pretty positive with the remote uh, setup for your consultants. Uh, is there an opportunity down the road to maybe have an increasing number of consultants working remotely and perhaps having a smaller bricks and mortar footprint um, for IG overall sure yeah go ahead mark
3: uh, thanks Jeff uh, sure uh, it's Mark here uh, you know it's interesting um, we're working our way through that right now and I think what's happened uh, when you look at, at the effectiveness people are starting to feel their way and realizing that uh, they can run a, a very effective business Uh, When I'm using a Teams conference call, I can clearly, I can be in touch with more clients during the course of the day than in person. I can bring specialists remotely into those calls for for the high net worth side of things, so I could bring a lawyer or an accountant to to join the conversation. Uh, You as a client can be staying home with your spouse or partner. Um, I'm very agile in what I'm doing. And my assistant team, uh, support team, they can be in different areas. So they're starting to experience this, Uh, we're actively engaged right now, we're actually talking to all of our network, Uh, we're running surveys to get a sense as to how they see themselves going forward. Uh, From what I'm seeing right now, I think you're going to see a combination. I believe there's going to be a group of consultants who are going to uh, quite strongly move to a a more remote model on on almost a full-time basis. Uh, There's going to be a group who like the bricks and mortar and there's going to be uh, uh, sort of a middle group. Ooh, maybe it was nine to five five days a week and now it's going to be in the office three days a week uh, but i think there's going to be a change in the demands on space the other thing that's, that's working for us is the receptiveness of the public i think all of us right i mean uh, you're at home we're ordering stuff we're doing more things online uh, there is a receptiveness and it is regardless of age uh, seniors as well who typically command a higher percentage in terms of assets uh, very receptive to having a dialogue in the comfort of their home uh, virtually. Uh, the systems now where you just send a link, no one's downloading anything, they're clicking on the link. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I think this creates a real strong alternative model that you can either go fully remote or you can go sort of part and part. Uh, so I, I think this is really, really exciting stuff and the efficiency this drives if I think about me running a practice and having people coming in and queuing up and driving and parking and then I go to how many people I can actually connect with during the course of the day, uh, that's significant. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a client, high net worth client of ours, said, you know, on a, a historically uh, three times a year I'm in person with my consultant. I now see that going to once a year because I've experienced this virtual side of it for me and my spouse and it's fantastic. So I think that's really what's going to happen. Uh, will we get rid of in-person? Absolutely not. But the amount of in-person I think is going to change and that's going to make us more efficient and that's going to drive up effectiveness and that's going to drive up business.
2: The other one, Mark, and um, you and I have both visited, but is Personal Capital. They have this exact model. So, so they're distributed, they're, they all work out of their homes um, and um, it, it's virtual. And uh, so, it, you know, they they didn't miss a beat when uh, anything happened. We, they just kept going because it's all digital, and uh, they didn't have I didn't have any problems.
3: You're absolutely right, Jeff. And I think the the thing that we're working on right now is uh, really effectively driving the planning component. So if you think about me as a, a practitioner, number one, can I communicate remotely? Yes, I can. Teams is very positive. Number two, can I transact remotely? Yes, I can. I can use DocuSign all my digital forms, which we have all in place. Uh, Number three, can I uh, prospect remotely? And as you mentioned earlier, we're starting to really drive down that path with virtual seminars and webinars and uh, and a lot of creative things that are taking place. So when you add those up, then you put number four on, can I do plans remotely, which we can do? I can now effectively run a remote business far more efficient than uh, in person.
10: Great. Thanks to color and the number of consultants in that greater than four years it was flat quarter to quarter but I think the historical numbers change a little bit was there a change in methodology or, or methodology or what was, who was driving
5: that? Yeah I'll, I'll speak to that it's, it's look we've uh, we've done a restatement for the last eight quarters for, uh, for the people mark reference to our experienced recruits I so mean the people that we recruited in who came in with more than four years experience. If you compare it relative to previous reporting, you'll get a sense of the number of people that we brought in with those criteria. And as Mark said earlier, we see that as being a much uh, a much larger component of our recruit going forward. Those people who have an experienced business with an existing practice.
10: Okay, that makes sense. So if you've got more more than four years of experience and you join IG, you'll fall into that that bucket.
5: Yeah. Right on. Okay.
10: Um, just on the. Uh, uh, Luke, on the expense side, the non conditioned expense. Just, I want to make sure I'm getting the message right. Um, it sounds like there's some like travel and conferences and stuff. There's some expenses here that um, are dropping off just because we, we are in a COVID-19 remote environment. It's a uh, um, $50 million guidance of expense reduction. Uh, is this a permanent reduction in your expense base, or is some of this? uh you know just just a result of uh, the environment
5: we're in this year and make may come back next year yeah great great question so right now we're declaring that 50 million is, is temporary as a result of COVID-19 and not just the activity that's declined as a result but the measures we put in place separate distinct from that we want to make sure we remind we, we have a transformation program going on and, and overcoming corridors we will be um, declaring uh, more of the initiatives come to life, like the fund that uh, service outsourcing with the CIBC Mellon that we uh, that, that we announced in Q4. And so we want to make sure that, that you have that in the back of your mind. We haven't given 2021 guidance yet nor beyond. Um, so a um, the highest guidance we give is this $50 million comes back online in 2021. But, but we are working very hard on bringing further transformation uh, initiatives to life. Okay, that's... Uh
10: that's important and that's helpful. Um, and then my last uh, question is just on the um, on the ETF side, Barry. Um, it looks like um, there's some, you know, momentum and more emphasis perhaps on the on the beta ETFs versus you know historically it was a bit bit more mixed between uh, you know your toll and your smart beta. Can you just talk about maybe some color on the ETF side and what is the, I guess, what's the strategy and what what seems to be in
4: demand and resonating. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, good question. So, you know, some you know, obviously we, we offer um uh, active and and smart beta and, and passive and uh, sometimes, you know, some do better than others depending on the the quarter or the month, but uh they're all uh you know selling well actually. The um the smart bait I'll with smart beta that's, that's principally powered by TOBAM, uh really encouraged by Tobam. They being a quant manager though and um you know their their approach and style uh they were hindered a bit their performance based on more concentrated markets but they've come back very very nicely uh this year so you'll probably probably start to see uh, more flows come into the smart beta uh, the active is principally fixed income uh, it's a great lineup and uh, again it mirrors the lineup we have on the mutual fund side but um we have uh you know we, we've got a big fixed income uh, uh business on ETF. about two-thirds of our ETFs are fixed income as i mentioned uh, a good prior question um etfs um not just asked but a lot of the etf providers uh not just not just uh sort of lot of fixed income providers not just etfs but but mutual funds uh there were some some outflows here in canada and the us as well so uh that's coming back very nicely though just the last few weeks in terms of the active fixed income uh being more bolstered the floating the floating rate was the one that's probably uh, sold very well about two and a half, three years ago, and but the last year, year and a half, given the interest rate uh, environment going forward, that's saw some leakages. But the unconstrained bonds selling very well, and uh, and the um, uh, other uh, high yield notes selling very well. Uh, the passive, yeah, the passive are, are just building blocks, right? And they're they're used a lot by our uh, internal uh, managers uh, at McKenzie. That manage as you know the McKenzie mutual funds as well as sub a significant amount of the ig mutual funds and so they're used for exposures and um... you know they're, they're they're priced well and they attract the indices well and so we're very pleased that we have that as well it's only been about a couple of years now we launched them and we did them to round out our building block approach so that portfolio managers can use them feel comfortable and uh, so they can use all three anytime they want so so what you'll see from us going forward is uh... equal support of all three It's multi-channel now uh... i rock and fda um institutional. Um, so we're starting to see nice traction in, in MFTA and, and um, institutional, whereas the first couple of years we were focusing more on IROC, which is, continues to be very strong for us. And we're going to launch uh, quite a few this year, uh, which I think is going to show a, a sign of strength. Uh, as Mark was saying, others, were working very well remotely. It's, it's remarkable how well we're operating this business for eight weeks now completely remotely. And everyone's working very, very well together. And uh, so that won't stop our momentum in terms of uh, product launches, both mutual funds and ETF, so so look to see some nice launches uh, from McKinsey at the rest of the year and uh, uh, across the entire spectrum of uh, ETFs. So thanks for your question.
10: That's it for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you, honour for the questions. At this time, I would like to turn the meeting back over to Mr. Potter.
0: Uh, thank you, Patrick. Um, yeah, sorry we of ran a little over time today, but uh, obviously lots to talk about. Uh, thank you for everyone joining the call and I uh, hope you have a great weekend. And with that, I will uh, now end the call.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.